Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Thursday, September the 21st, in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me on Thursdays is our good friend, Wes Reimnitz. Good morning, Wes. Good morning. It's good to hear I'm still a good friend. Well, yes, I had three friends. You're one of them. <laughs> Another one is Louise. I said friends. <laughs> okay. Let, 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 let's get not into uh, a family. But <laughs> you gave me a real good email again to look at entitled Uncommitted Christians causing catastrophic decline in the biblical worldview. Now that is by a individual who does a lot of, well, checking things out in the world. His name is Barna and has a new book, Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind and Soul. Uh, what does he say about that? Well, well, first of all, to not only is there Barnes' book, but if you listen to Coffee Hour just preceding it, there's another one coming out from CPH called Faith and Culture, which which will parallel this. But Barnes' book says research from the book comes from seven original studies as part of a collaborated effort at the Cultural Resource Research Center at the Arizona Christian University and the Family Research Council. What does he say about millions of uncommitted Christians? Well, he says he examines the ability of parents to intentionally and strategically raise spiritual champions among the nation's children. Many Christians are so ill-equipped in their ability as parents that they've been swept up in that growing turn of outsourcing their responsibility. I agree with part of that. I don't know if I agree with the whole uh, philosophy. Yeah, he actually says millions of uncommitted Christians are causing a catastrophic decline in biblical worldview in America because they have been poorly developed in their own faith and often don't know how to pass on biblical values to their children. That's the main point of his book. And as you indicated, many Christians feel so ill-equipped in their ability as parents that they have been swept up in a growing trend of outsourcing their responsibilities. How does he expand on that? Well, during the research, per, per, parents often share doubts about their own parenting ability, even expressing that although they are doing their best that they can, they don't feel that they're very good parents. Yes. Now, they do love their children, 
and therefore they want to have the best experiences and outcomes. But what are parents looking to? Well, they, they believe that they can do the job in various dimensions. Uh, they look for the best teachers, the coaches, other experts who can give them their children their training they believe that they need to succeed. Yes. Therefore, as a result, parents have stepped back and handed over the worldview development process to experts who may or may not share their worldview and values. Now, we, we find that really happening a lot in public schools and universities where the worldview that they have there is not the Christian worldview, correct? Correct. Well, and I think it goes back to one of the unintended blessings that we didn't figure on in the COVID pandemic when the schools were shut down and they went online and there had to be some homeschooling going on with the public schools and parents started finding out what was being taught in the public sector. Yes. So these parents have decisions they're making, intellectual, moral, emotional, and spiritual. But what does it mean to have a biblical worldview? Well, he says it's to think like Jesus so that you can act like Jesus. We would call it the means of grace. Yes. The, world, the word, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Now, does Scripture say that parents are the ones charged with the primary responsibility of their children's spiritual development? Well, I, uh, you'll like this because you've been studying Proverbs, and he quotes Proverbs chapter 2, Proverbs 23, Proverbs 20. 22 and Proverbs 29. So it goes in, in line with your biblical study that you've been doing. That's what Solomon was talking to his sons about much of Proverbs. This is the will of God. This is how we are to live. And he gives the reasons for it. But most of parents, according to this survey, were found incapable of passing on a biblical worldview to their children, and because that's most of them themselves don't understand a biblical worldview. I, I think you bring up a good point there, because uh, I looked in the scripture of parents raising their kids, and we got one uh, in First Samuel where Hannah takes her child, Samuel, and and uh, puts him into the service of the Lord with Eli. Eli's raising Samuel now, right. and Samuel has his son that uh, he evidently was inefficient in teaching. It, uh, the survey shows that only 2% of parents with children under 13 years old were found to have a biblical worldview. 
but 94% had embraced what he refers to as syncretism. What What is that? Well, isn't syncretism where you try to blend various beliefs into one and make them uh, something co-equal with each other? Yes. In fact, the book's data showed what percentage of parents of preteens in America are born-again Christians. He got that down to 22%, and only 8% of them had a biblical worldview. Yes. So 58% of them do agree that they have the primary responsibility for the spiritual development of their children. 23% of them, though, leave that up to churches. And research shows that that is an increasingly unreliable source of biblical worldview training. Now, how do you understand that, that some churches don't really give worldview training? Well, I think we've been covering that over the last couple of years in many of the programs that we, we've done. Some that show the churches that uh, redefine the interpretation of Bible. For instance, love. You know, you just kind of love one another versus the love that's demonstrated in the gospel. Yes, uh, I go by church signs, and many of them I see are law-oriented, like love your neighbor, etc. Well, that's not the gospel. What's the gospel about love? Well, love, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Yes. In fact, they examined, surveyed 13- and 14-year-olds, and what percentage believe that God exists? 36%. Boy. You know, it just brings up the whole issue of parents teaching their children. I can think of several examples out there of parents that bring their children to church to worship, then the Sunday school, or if there's a parochial, they have a, a parochial day school there with them that they send them to the day school. And then at home, they mirror their reflection. Uh, they pray together and devote with one another. Yes. He brings up three items about the majority of the youngest teens, 61%. They believe that Jesus sinned while he was on earth. And not even half believe that God created the universe. That's because of evolution. And an overwhelming majority believe that there are no absolute objective truths. What's Barna talking about there, about absolute objective truths. Well, there's your truth, their truth, everybody else's truth, so to speak. Particularly in the areas of morality. 
So what is Barna's encouragement for parents to develop a biblical worldview? Well, to develop the children first understand that it is their primary task in life to raise their children to know, love, and serve God with all their heart, mind, and soul. And no other task is more important. And we have loads of, of examples of that from the scriptures. Uh, give me some. Well, there's Abraham teaches Isaac. Isaac teaches Jacob. Jacob teaches Joseph. Last week you, you talked a lot about Joseph and his brothers. There's Daniel. You read in Daniel chapter 1 where he took over the instruction of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were able to give a witness when it came to bowing before an idol and, and chose not to. You have in Second Timothy chapter 1, where it talks about Eunice, the grandmother, and Lois, the mother, that, that teach uh, Timothy, and then you go to Second Timothy 3.16, it talks about Timothy you know, holding on to all Scripture as he learned it from his youth. Yes. By what age do children end up having a worldview? He, he noted that the place in 13, parents should be investing their children with uh, the early years of life determining. And I think that's so important that prior to age 13, they, they uh, develop that worldview in Christ. Because by 13, they're involved with other children and they make a impact on the children. And so you need to really get to a child as he or she is growing up in your household. And using this foundation, namely of Jesus Christ as a way of salvation, any child can build a purposeful and influential life that glorifies God. What does Barna say of the recommendations he makes in his book? Well, starting with the simple and basic biblical tenets empowers a child to construct a spiritual base with a scripture solid leading to life choices. That reminds me years ago when in one of the parishes I was teaching confirmation, when, when I would teach the catechism, I'd always pick out Bible stories to tell them that, that uh, really undergirded the, the, the commandment, like first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. We, we would talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and I would start off with telling the kids that it talks about in the Bible where you should eat vegetables. And they said, no. Well, if you read in Daniel chapter 1, that's exactly what happens. Get them off junk food and onto good food. And then we went into the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The amazing thing that happened is they were going home and teaching their siblings the Bible story that they had heard 
in, in uh, confirmation. And, and the reason I picked up on this is the following years when they would start coming in, they go, hey, this is the story that my brother or sister told me. We need to listen to it. Yes. And in fact, it's very important then. And it deals with a second email we received from a Stephen Mitchell, where he actually quotes Ronald Reagan. And what does Reagan say uh, uh, about this situation in the country? Well, he, he once said that you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We will preserve for our children the best hope of man on earth. And we'll sentence them to take up a thousand, the last step in a, to a thousand years of darkness. He, you know, he was talking about America and the Cold War and the essential message that crossroad the Christianity. So, Christians here face in 2023. And the article says, in case you've been living under a rock, we are in trouble in many ways. America is divided and teetering. Our society is collapsing. Judeo-Christian influence seems to be eroding. And while it is certainly perilous times in which we find ourselves, it is also noteworthy the opportunity of a lifetime for every believer in Jesus Christ and for the church at large. And so the question is, how will we respond to this moment? And well, what are some things he says? We can speak up or shut up. We can live out or reach out to others with faith in Jesus and, uh, we can hold to to compromise our convictions or stand for them. You know, I think that's where it's important that we, we teach them in the Sunday schools, in our church, in our confirmation classes. I mean, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three men in the fiery furnace, is how three men st stood up against a culture that said there are many gods, and they said there's only one true God. Yes. The article says the question we are facing is whether we will rub off on the world or whether the world will rub off on us. And that's choices Christians make. For example, we could give in to the undercurrent of anger and lack of civility that increasingly seems to be dominating our culture. Or we can have a more comforting attitude, like in Proverbs, it says, if your enemy is hungry, give him some food. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. And that was Jesus' love towards the people in his day that made such a difference in many of their lives. There's a great point you bring out. You know, they've been having on uh, Wednesdays, see, Wednesdays and coffee hour, the Bishop of the English District, 
on uh, leadership, and he brings out an excellent point that that as a pastor, sometimes when our people are att- are angry and, and kind of uh, attacking at us, that how we respond shows our civility and displaying our Christian unity, and also talks about how that reaches out into into our community. Yes, in fact. That's why we're on AM850 KFUO, because many of the programs do talk about the responsibility on the part of parents to raise their children with a Christian view, because our culture is clearly sick and confused, seen clearly in topics like sexuality, abortion, and gender rights. And so we need to speak the truth in love. Or will we, in the name of love, omit biblical truth? Or in the name of proclaiming the truth, leave out love? A lot of parents are kind of afraid to teach their children what is the will of God and how children disobey that will of God because they want to stay friends with their children. But that was the job of John the Baptizer in speaking of repentance so that when that repentance came about, Jesus' message of preaching the gospel could be very important. And you bring up an excellent point with John the Baptist, who raised him, Zacharias and Elizabeth, his parents. And it's often believed that he was in a community of of the Essenes, which are not mentioned in the scriptures, but historically were conservative, looking for the Messiah to come. Yes. We need to understand that the far left in the country pushes a message that conflicts with what the Bible says, especially on sexuality, gender ideology, and euphemisms that minimize the barbaric nature of abortion. But the far right pushes a message of what at times? Political retribution or nationalism that conflicts with the Sermon on the Mount that causes us to forget that ours is a spiritual kingdom to advance, not an earthly one. Yeah, what does, and you reminded us before, I believe, what did Jesus say to Pontius Pilate about the earth kingdom? Yeah, a good point. My kingdom is not out of this world. If my kingdom was out of this world, my, his, his followers would rise to, to upset it. But as it is, his kingdom is not of this world. So that the church and Christians are not really able to fit entirely with any specific political or ideological camp because the gospel is above all that. And both liberals and conservatives need Jesus Christ. You, know, that, you, bring, up, you bring up a good point, point there because Luther in his Genesis lecture talked about what he called the three hierarchies the church, the family, the government. And he he said it was the church's responsibility to teach families and to teach governments the godly ways. 
How is Jonah an example of how we Christians are not to be like? <laughs> he got caught up in kind of demonizing the, the other side and was filled with anger for the people of Nineveh. He thought they should be destroyed. And he ran from carrying out his mission to proclaim God's message of compassion and warning of judgment. I mean, we read that he runs from, from them down to Joppa, down to a ship, down to the belly of the ship, down to the belly of, of, of a fish trying to get away from God's commands. So we are not to lose sight of our mission given by Jesus Christ. And what is that message? Well, it's not to gain political power or influence at all costs, but to proclaim the life-changing power of the gospel of Christ in hope to change hearts and minds. It's the gospel because faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. The Holy Spirit works through our witness of the word. Yes. So Jesus says he will return and... That is because he wants the gospel to be shared with everyone. And that's, the world is watching us, are they not? Right. Well, we talked about that last week with Coco Gall, who was praying, and some didn't understand what she was talking about, where it was the job of the Christians to come out and say she was praying and thanking God for her, her life and things going on. Now, who are you talking about? Coco Goff was the winner of the U.S. Open in tennis. Yes. And, and they showed a picture or filmed a picture of her kneeling in her church, uh, her chair, and, and praising and in prayer, giving thanks to God. Yeah, it really shows what the article says. We must stand out by not allowing the toxicity of our cultural and political climate to rub off on us, but we need to rub off on it. So, thanks for these two articles, Pastor Reimnitz, about the importance of parents taking on the task of raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and giving their children a biblical worldview. So, we'll continue talking a little bit about this on tomorrow's Law and Gospel. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.